RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, Friday morning. Means it's Duffified Live day, and uh, I'm pretty excited about today's guest. I'm very excited about today's guest. I'm not going to talk about the guest right off the bat, though, because I've got a whole lead in that we have to do to get the guest on the air. But so we're going to talk first and foremost about uh, kind of the last couple of weeks, what I've been doing, what's been going on. So again, I was doing all my GE stuff. And one of the funny things about going out with like uh, companies is they always choose like a chain restaurant to go to. So it's always like a Capitol Grill, a Morton's, a Bahama Breeze, or it could be a Perkins. So uh, after being away last week, I was in – where in the hell was I? I was in St. Paul, Minnesota. And then I was, I was in Kansas. And then this past week, I was in Baton Rouge down in Louisiana. Oh, my God, man. What, what a great little food town. Found this super cool little place called the Cadillac, I think it is, uh, with this dude who I met who's the owner down there. I don't know what his name is. I think it's Mike. Uh, I don't even know. Really good dude. Just like kind of walked up to me while I was in the bar. Thanked me for coming in. Like all that nice stuff. You know, it was just a really cool place. But I'll tell you what's really funny is that I have walked into the place and there's a big bouncer by the front door. You know, and I wear hats all the time and there's a sign on the front door like we can refuse service based on appearance and all that stuff. So so when I walk into those places, I'm typically – I don't want to say intimidated, but I, I hate to go into a place and a guy to be like, hey, you got to take your hat off because I don't wear like a baseball cap. Like I wear flat caps, you know, like I wear a flat bill um, stuff when I wear them. So a lot of times that can be seen as like gang or something else, even though it says like make tattooing scary again or, um, you know, like I'm wearing a Chicago hat or something like that. Um so I kind of had that little kind of fear when we first walked in. I had like 10 people with me. We walk into the bar. The bouncer, hey, what's up, dude? Nice to see you. Walk over to the bar, stand there for a minute or so, probably about 40 people around the bar. And then boom, server, bartender just starts coming over. And can I get you guys anything like super friendly? Just a really nice place. So a little, uh, it was called the Cadillac Cafe, I think it was, in Baton Rouge. Uh, a really neat little bar. So Mike, I, I believe your name was Mike, the owner of the place. Thank you very much for your hospitality hospitality and um, for the for you know I mean just a, a great atmosphere for us to play in there was a great band that was up on stage and people playing pool and uh, there were some weird dudes in there man weird dudes this one dude had on these like Nike sneakers but they were the customizable ones like you're in New York City you walk into the Nike store you can pay $190 to get a pair of Nikes like customized for you well this motherfucker must have been 60 years old had these customized Nikes on with like fluorescent on the back of them on one panel and like airbrushed on the other panel. It was just pretty funny, but he was literally walking up to every female in the bar and trying to dance with them. 
which, hey, in this day and age, like rock and roll, man, like go and and enjoy it. But it got to be a little bit annoying and it was kind of funny because I finally at one point had to go over. He was talking to friends of mine and I'm like, yo, are we cool? He's like, I'm just want to dance. I just want to dance. You know, I want to know if anybody wants to dance with me. He was an old guy. I'm totally harmless. It was it was it was just kind of funny to see and uh, just a, a very eclectic group of people in this bar. There was a group of Indian gentlemen um, that were in there uh, that were fucking jamming like they were at a nightclub. And then there's a couple of other people in there like, you know, uh, affliction guys. I call them affliction guys. They're the guys that wear like the affliction T-shirts, you know, like the sleeves are shorter. Um, they're they're kind of folded up around the biceps. Uh, you know, there's the, the, the very defined mustache and beard. Like, I don't know if I'm generalizing or not, but you guys know who I'm talking. When I say an affliction guy, you guys know exactly who I'm talking about. You feel like you're watching Jersey Shore when you when you when you hear me talking about this. But you know, a little thuggish in a way, but super nice guys. Like one of the guys bought me a drink cause I was having fun and I was just kind of jamming. So it was kind of cool. It was just a really cool little bar. So Cadillac cafe down there in Baton Rouge. I hope that's the name of the place. Awesome. Awesome spot. Uh, next time I'm down there, I'm definitely going to hop into your place again. So I appreciate that. But Last week was the one year anniversary of my father passing away, um, which was devastating to all of us. As we all know, you know, I talked about that last year. I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show, but my father had pancreatic cancer. He beat it the first round. The second time around, it came out and it just beat the shit out of him. Poor guy. There was nothing he could do. His body was worn down. It was pretty, pretty bad. So, um, but you know, my, my, my parents had a lot of traditions and things that they like to do. They were both retired seventies. So my parents, you know, they like to go to restaurants and stuff like that. They like to go to chain restaurants. So when we started to talk to my mother about what we wanted to do, cause it was just me and the girls, my sister was unable to make it for breakfast. Um, her, her, my nephew had a, had a, had a soccer game and he had to go to, it was a championship thing and team pictures and all that stuff. And so it was just me and my girls. We had gone to church with my mother. Um, you know, mass was being said for my father and we walk in and my mother, I said, where do you want to go for breakfast? And she said, every now and then your father and I would like to go to like a, a little breakfast place that's over in, in this other section of town called upper Darby. So I was like, great, let's go there, whatever. So it's a Perkins. So I'm not a huge fan of chain restaurants. I'll just make that statement known. Um, I'm not the type of person to go into another town and go to a chain restaurant. I would much rather go to a local restaurant, even if it's a little bar and grill that's serving a burger or something. I'd rather go to a space like that so that I can, one, support the local economy and two, so that I can really get a flavor of what's going on in the town itself. I can have a Friday's onion ring in any city in the country. I don't want a Friday's onion ring, but I can have one if I want to. But rarely can I go to a Bob's Bar and Grill and have a Bob's Bar and Grill onion ring, especially if they're doing scratch stuff. So I rarely go to a chain. So my mother wanted to go to a chain her and my father would go there every now and then. We threw out a whole bunch of other places to go, a couple little independent restaurants. We go to this awesome little diner that's down and deep in the hood of West Philly. Uh, you know, like they make their own white bread. Like we're the only white people in the whole place. Like I'm not going to lie to you. This is West Philly, man. And, and we're like the only white people in the whole place. And we're a loud, obnoxious family. So we, we love it in there. We have a blast when we go in there. We love the, the people. We know the servers. We know the cooks. It's fun. So my mother wanted to go to Perkins. So we ended up going to Perkins over in this little section of Upper Darby. And uh, from the moment we walked in, 
uh, oddly enough, there's a, there was they called two tables at the same time. They're like, you know, Smith party of two. Uh, and then the woman, I'm not even kidding you. You ready for this? She was like, and uh, Dufay party of four. So we were in Perkins and had the most fancy rendition of our name ever was in Perkins. Pretty funny. So gives us this, you know, 17 page menu. We go over, we sit down. The place is packed, packed. Every single seat had people in it. Every single parking spot out in the parking lot had, had, had cars in it. The place was packed, jumping. We were all talking, kind of bullshitting. Server came over three times to take our order. And uh, her name was Jennifer. She's been working there since 2001. And she was so professional, so knowledgeable about everything that was going on that it stopped me for a second because I, I never – you know, we always like I go to independent restaurants all the time and it's so funny to watch the dynamic between an independent restaurant staff and a professional restaurant staff of say like a Perkins or a chain. This team worked together so well. I haven't seen a team work together this well since I've sat in like a fine dining place like, you know, uh, like Restaurant Danielle or – or something like that. Like it was unbelievable how well they work together. And especially in my business where I travel all over so much and I'm, and I'm in and out of restaurants, whether it be my clients or other places that I don't see that cohesive kind of teamwork happening. I, I don't understand why it is. These servers, I was shocked. I couldn't believe how well they work together. So it's kind of, Something that I, I, I keep striving for in restaurants is to get that that camaraderie there between front and back of house to get that that flow going super easy. And it's tough to do if you're not in the restaurant every day. You've really got to depend on the other people that are working there. It's you know, I make a phone call to my, my place down in North Carolina all the time. Hey, thanks for answering the phone. Hey, make sure you smile when you answer. Don't forget to use your name. You know, how's everything going today? How's this? Like I try to build that culture while I'm in there and when I'm away as much as possible. I tried to do it at my old place. I'm going to be honest. I had a jackass uh, chef and I had a jackass general manager who didn't believe in the concept of what we were trying to do. They wanted to do it their own way and very lazily at the same time. Hence why they got fired. Uh, one more than more than two, more than once. Um, it, uh, it 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 was it was good to see. It really was good to see, and I really enjoyed it because, you know, I, I, I tipped on average in a great place. I'll tip twenty to twenty five percent because the service is just on fire. And if I ever come into your place and and you give me subpar service, you're going to see it in the tip, and I'm going to leave you a note. I, I'm not a dick. I, I'm just if I go in for surgery and I'm supposed to get an appendectomy and I come out and I have a breast implant. You did kind of a half-ass job, my buddy. You didn't do the right thing. It's the same thing that goes with servers. If I'm coming in, I expect you to be as professional as you can be. You know, know the menu, know everything that goes with it, and this place was on fire. So so what I'm saying with that is Perkins, y'all crushed it, man. Just a great job. Really, really nice job. I'm impressed. So uh, I don't know who the owner is. I don't know who the manager is. I don't know if it's a franchise property or if it's independently or if it's owned by the company, uh, but it was really a nice experience and it made my mother very happy. She actually brought food home with her, which she loves because she sees that as a bargain. Um, so it was a nice little day. We had a really good day and then went back to my mother's and did some work around there. You know, we ran around a little bit. It was a nice day for, uh, for 
little homage. I mean, we went to my mother's house last night. My mother made meatballs and sausage and pasta and all that stuff. And it was a nice uh, it was a nice break and a nice little homage to my father because the family was together with the exception of my brothers who were out in L.A. Nothing we can do about that. But they're going to be home for the birthday. So we're pretty happy about that. So. That's kind of where I am with that. But one of the things that's funny is because I, I didn't uh, – we didn't plan it to happen this way. But my next guest um, actually works for a chain restaurant and she is the corporate executive chef for a chain restaurant. Um, so I, I, I think it's pretty cool that, that it kind of came together that way. Because I'm excited to have her on the show um, for for a couple of reasons. One, because I've gotten to know her a little bit over the last two years. We've had an opportunity to kind of play in a couple different um, sandboxes. Um, One of those sandboxes was last year um, out in Sacramento, California. I got to harvest some walnuts with her. we got to travel and laugh and, and have a good time out in Sacramento. And then this year I got to see her again at a little thing that the California Walnut Board put on for us called Camp Walnut, which is they flew a whole bunch of us out to San Francisco. We then took a 90-minute bus ride up into the Redwood Forest to this awesome place called Auto Camp, which is a uh, luxury Airstream campground. And we got the, 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 the treatment, man, across the board in this little town called Guerneville. We went out to dinner the night before. Uh, and then th- we wake up the next morning. Boom, we're all dressed and ready to rock and roll. Oh, sorry. We go out to dinner. Then we go back to the campground, sit around this huge campfire and just booze. Bottles of Jack Daniels, bottles of Tito's and, and literally like $100 bottles of wine are just flowing around this campfire. So – uh, uh, from there, we wake up the next morning. We got to head out into the fields. We got to go and harvest some walnuts. We got to meet the farmers. We get to find out the process and really kind of what was happening with that. So it was really an awesome experience. Then we come home. We get to have a beautiful dinner out in the redwoods with the camp, with the, the lights up in the trees and, and a, a huge truck called Ring of Fire Napa that shows up. It's a 1987 army truck that goes uh, five miles an hour up a hill and it gets four to five miles to the gallon. This guy built it. Uh, his name was Gabe and he built it and he's got some good food. He did a really, really nice job. We got to hang out in the woods, drink it up. Um, it was California, smoke it up a little bit, hang out. Uh, although my guest didn't, did not smoke. She's not a smoker. Um, it was Cali. So, you know, a bunch of people did, uh, just hang out and just chat and bullshit and laugh. And then the next morning, wake up again and we had to do demos and she was a camp counselor, they called it. So it was a really neat experience. So, so Tamra, who is, uh, the corporate executive chef for, um, for, 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 uh, uh, Sizzler, sorry, why did I just? I was going to say Perkins, who is the corporate executive chef for Sizzler, uh, is not only uh, the chef for them. She's also my friend, and I'm really excited to have her on because I want to talk about some of the chain stuff. I want to talk about the movement forward of what's going on, and I really want to find out what it's like to do her job. So. Everybody do me a huge favor. You guys know the deal. Uh, I'm going to curse a little bit. So so if there's kids in the room, um, plug their ears up with tissues or napkins or earplugs or headphones or whatever it is that you do to calm your kid down. Put them in front of an iPad, whatever you got to do. But listen to this show. I'm really excited. I hope everybody enjoys because right now we're going to welcome to Duffified Live, Tamara Scroggins. Tamara, what's going on, lady? Hey, how are you? I'm just wonderful. I miss you since our last little trip out west. 
I know. Camp Walnut was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> what an amazing, amazing time. Hey, Tamar, do me a favor real quick before we talk about that. Can you tell me a fa- so do me a favor? Tell me who you are. Tell me what you do and how we can get in contact with you. All right. My name is Tamara Scroggins. I work for Sizzler USA. And you can get me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamara Sizzles. Nice. So you said Sizzler USA. Is there a Sizzler like EU? There's a Sizzler International that is owned out of um, Australia. Really? So there's a lot of international Sizzlers that aren't affiliated with Sizzler USA. As of about eight years ago, our executive team bought Sizzler USA from International. Really? So how many? Yeah, and now I get to be the fun chef for, you know, 140 locations. That was actually my question. How many locations do you have? So prior to, how long ago was the purchase? About eight years ago. And that was about when you started? I started, uh, well, I started 10 years ago, but only full-time nine years ago. I was a consultant for about a year before I came on full-time. Really? I didn't know that. What, yeah. Like, interesting fact. What, so let's, so what, what brought you into, what did you, okay, what did you do before all of this? Well, before Scissor, right before Scissor, I owned a restaurant in the Panhandle of Texas for about nine years. Okay. And it was a, we, it was an eclectic little place. It was a 1946 Phillips 66 gas station that we remodeled. Yeah. And we kept the whole Petrobelia theme. We had the the car jack, you know, jacked up so it was table height and had about two inch thick piece of glass on top of it so you could actually sit at it. Like really? you felt like you were gonna be moved. Yeah, it's awesome. What was it was it a was it a was it a, 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 a an auto shop or a gas station before you moved into it? Yes. It was an auto shop before I moved into it and before that it was a gas station slash auto shop. Okay, so you now this is a whole different line of questioning, Tamara, because I I always see these gas stations that go out of business. So what what did you I mean what did you have to do to to ultimately open it up as a restaurant? Well, we didn't really have to do a lot except for put in a kitchen because we kept all the original flooring, we kept the original crumbled stucco over brick, you know, really? we kept all that, so it's really in really old, you know, looking and look like it was going to crumble down around you, really. And right. then the doors, we, the garage doors, we sealed them because we were in the Panhandle, Texas. If we were in California, I would have kept them unsealed so we could open them. Right. But Panhandle doesn't work because it's like a, you know, it's a horrible weather. Right. So we sealed them so you could sit in front of them and look out. And then, um, you know, where when you walk into a gas station where the convenience store part would have been, right. that's kind of where we made a, a kitchen. Um, very small kitchen and we had a bakery case. We had a baker there that baked all of our baked goods. And then in the back we had about a 3000 square foot honky tonk where we put a stage and we'd have bands come in and it was real. We kept all the high ceilings back there and it was pretty cool. So, so was this existing to the building or did you guys add on to this? No, that was existing. They used to service, um, it was, we were in the middle of the oil field, so right. they used to service oil field trucks and, like, school buses and stuff like that, so they had really? to have an area that must have had, like, 50-foot ceilings or more. Oh, my God, that's awesome. It's really a heating and cooling a nightmare. But. Oh, well, that's just a given. I know I had a, I had an 8,000-square-foot place with 50-foot ceilings in it, so I know. Yeah. yeah it was not, and, and it was concrete, so let's try to heat that during the winter without 
with making a profit. Um, yeah. So what yeah. kind of, how long were you there for? How long was this your property? Nine years. Chef? No, I, I owned the property. We bought okay. the property, remodeled the property. Yeah. And we were there for nine years, you know, and then 2008 came around and um, the oil and gas field uh, went through quite a slump. And I, I relied on the oil and gas field a lot to cater and to, you know, frequent my bar and restaurant. So it just really was a downer. And so I started, you know, going to looking for alternative work. And so I started consulting. Oh, that's pretty wild. So what was, and I'm going to, yeah, it's crazy. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's crazy because when you own your own place, people don't really think about it, but you're like, you're, you're, the lives of 25 different families relied on me, you know, and so you really have to take that into consideration. So, you know, my family was last in line to get whatever was left, you know, so that's why I had to really even go out and do some consulting work. And I want to keep, I want to go back to your build out (laughs) and and the reason I I do, I do because I've always wondered, you know, I mean, I've opened up enough places, but I mean, what, you know, I mean, for me, like, how do you get the smell of gas and oil and grime out of the floor? Oh yeah. That was interesting. So uh, um, there's a carburetor cleaner that that mechanics use. And um, we had to spray the floor with this carburetor cleaner and let right. it sit for a while. And then we took these deck brushes and just deck brushed it. And then after we did that, it was like almost like almost clean concrete. So then we took an acid etch. Um, we had several different colors. We had like a forest green and a Coca-Cola color and like an English oak color. And so right. we acid etched into the concrete. Um, we just kept existing concrete. We didn't um, we didn't make it look like tile or anything. We just acid etched it, and then it came all these the minerals and everything and the calcium interacted with the acid, and it made such fabulous colors. It looked like marble on the floor. Really? And then we went over, yeah. And then we went over that and just sealed it. And then once we did all that, you couldn't get the smell. There was sometimes the smell in the uh, wash bay area because right. the drain would sometimes, you know. I don't know with the weather you could kind of smell the oil every once in a while but it just right. kind of it just kind of was great for the ambiance and, and what kind of food did you guys serve when you were there uh well when i first got out of college i went to work for champs americana which is a sports bar right. and they have kind of an eclectic menu are they still really are they still around love, yeah they are still around because um, they closed the one near me owned by somebody yeah they closed the one near me too i think there's like one in denver somewhere i know huh. okay but, Sorry. but the uh, owner of that was a uh, was a good friend, family friend, and he uh, the food was just phenomenal. It was just very eclectic. It was all over the board. And so when I went to open my restaurant, I just didn't want to pigeonhole myself into like, oh, you're in Texas, you have to do steaks. So right. I didn't do that. And I and I also came from San Diego right before I went to Cal went to Texas, and so I had a lot of California influence. Right. So. I just kind of married California, Texas, and my champs things. And just like when I first got there, like feta, what's feta? I'm like, yeah. I'll show you what feta and is. And what year you know? is this? What year is this? Um, this is 2000. Okay. So a nice, a, like coming out of the 90s with all the height and, you know, a lot of the really over the top stuff, walking into 2000s where the casual mindset is really starting to build out in the next two to three years. So nice. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what were you doing in San Diego? So I worked for a company called Hometown Buffet, and it was okay. it was a corporate office was in San Diego. Well, there you go. Did you and live? I, there? I did training 
I did training and I did culinary. I did a little bit of everything there because I started with them when they only had five restaurants. Right. And then, so I was on the training team, opening up restaurants, training kitchen managers, you know, training all the food stuff. I love San Diego. Yeah, it's paradise, right? It's awesome. I mean, well, and and the cool part about it is is it's not that pretentious kind of LA what are you going to do for me vibe. It's like, "Hey, how are you, dude?" Yeah, it's great because I live in Orange County now, which is really more pretentious even than Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a touch. Yeah, San Diego's like, they're like, dude, let's just chill. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. So, I don't, I don't, did we discuss Hodad and Hodads and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. I love Hodad in Ocean he, Beach. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he was like, he was a good friend of mine, and I traveled all over the world with him until he passed away. So yeah. we did this stuff. Is, isn't his son there or something? Shane, Shane is operating it. Shane has taken over where uh, where Mike Bossman had left off, and Shane's doing a great job. Shane is actually going to uh, Africa and the Middle East with our group in uh, January. So yeah, That's Shane. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, Shane is taking over and he's doing a, a one a great job. Every time I'm out there, I mean, last time I was out there, he picked me up from my hotel and you know I went in and had had dinner with him. He drove me home. Like, who the fuck does that anymore? Everybody's like, hey, it was great. <laughs> to see you. Here's an Uber. So um, yeah, exactly. I love it out there. Love it out there. So all right, so so everything's starting to dry up. Oil fields are getting a little funky. The business itself is going a little bit weird. And you now find yourself having to really find a job in a way or find another way to, to get some income. Right. And so you start in the consulting world and you, that, and that happens with Sizzler. Like how did that come to? So the C, the president and CEO of, of hometown when I was at hometown was, it was then the became the president at Sizzler. Okay. And his name is Kerry Cramp. And he's, he's known, I've known him for many years. He interviewed me back uh, in like 1991 for the job at Hometown Buffet. And um, we just had a really good relationship. And so he contacted um, my dad. And my dad uh, is Dennis Scott. He's the founder of Old Country Buffet and Hometown Buffet. And he, my dad came and he said, hey, you know what? I hired you at, you hired me at Hometown Buffet and brought me along. And now I need help at Sizzler. Can you come help me? So he came into Sizzler. My dad's background is chefing. He's a, he's a culinary guy. And so he, uh, he called me and he was like, hey, I need help. I think I just might have fired the uh, chef here. (laughs) So (laughs) he would fly out and help me. And so I said, I said, yeah, I'll come out and help you. So I came out and helped him. And so then just stayed. So dad calls and and that's got to be an awesome feeling knowing that your father one is, I mean, not that my father wasn't proud of me, but that your father's that proud of you for what you're doing and trusts you to come into a major corporation and help them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really fun working with him too. Cause I mean, I worked with him at hometown and at Old Country Cafe when I was a teenager, but I uh, I didn't really work one-on-one with him. I mean, we actually share an office. He's actually oh, sitting right wow. next to me right now. Oh, what's up, Dad? <laughs> um, <laughs> Say hi, Dad. 
Hello. <laughs> he says hello. So that's I, that's a whole nother line of questioning, Tamara. You keep surprising me. So I am like an onion. I have many layers. <laughs> so how is that? I mean, how was that for you to be working with your dad? I mean, what was that like at first? I mean, I know you worked with him before, but now it's in such a such a different role. Oh, yeah. I've never really reported to him. And when I first got here to Sizzler, I reported to him. Try doing that. Yeah. Interesting for your for your, uh, you know, your relationship. Um, we've had we've had fights. We've had swear words thrown back and forth. We've had tears on my part. I don't think he shed a tear, but, <laughs> you know, and so it, it was interesting. I mean, it. I, I mean, I like it. I like it because, you know, we're both getting older in our years and, you know, it's great to be spending this time with him and, you know, not just seeing him once or twice a year, but, you know, three to four times a week. Right. Sure. So you go from from that consulting moment into, hey, we want to hire you full time. I mean, what is that? You know, how does that work? Because being a consultant is is, is a different gig. You know, I mean, you're not a full-time employee. It's a whole different level of, of finance. It's a different level of responsibility. Plus you're, you're kind of, you know, sometimes you're looking for other gigs while you're still doing the one gig. So how did that, how was that for you at that time frame to move into a full-time position? Yeah. So I still had my restaurant in Texas for that time period too. So I was going back and forth, you know, trying to keep both lives. And I still had two children in the home that were, uh, elementary school age, so wow. it was a little bit of a juggling act. But um, you know, I'd spend like you know two weeks here, then go home for two weeks, and then come back here for two weeks. And fortunately, my husband was you know really helpful during that time, and I had some really good friends that were helping me with my kids, getting them to school and stuff. You know, in the morning. Um, so that was that was good. And then, but w- what was really fortunate was that we, it was kind of, um, I don't know if it's called kismet, serendipitous, I don't know what the word is, but uh, we had a buyer that came on and said, hey, we want to buy your restaurant and the building and everything as is Wow. in about 2009. And um, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, what do you want to, what do you want to sell it for? And I had no idea, you know? Right. One million dollars. Yeah, it's like it's like you think you can't really sell. A, you, you know, you look at the building and think, okay, the building's worth this. Right. And it's open as a restaurant right now. Not really that profitable right now, but it's open as a restaurant. And so you 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 how do you figure that whole thing out? So it was a little bit of talking to my dad, talking to some real estate people, trying to figure it out. You know, and then we finally just came to a, a meeting of the minds on the price. And so yeah, then he took it, and he took a lot of my employees too. So that was great too. Wow, that's awesome. So is that is that property still open and operating? Yeah, it is. It's called the Stumbling Goat. Ooh, I like that. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, it sounds it sounds like a super cool place. I mean, just the idea of you know a three thousand square foot space in the back where trucks used to pull in, you know, and and you've got you've got live stuff going on, and I think that's super cool. That's awesome. So. So what were you doing originally when you were consulting for Sizzler? Like, I mean, what were you doing? Were you developing menu items? Were you training? What was your, what were your responsibilities? Yeah. So, uh, Sizzler's been around for 60 years, which is a long time. And, you know, they have a lot of baggage. 
so they went through a couple different phases in their in their development. So when I got to Sizzler uh, back in 2008. Pretty much everything came out of a bag, a box, a can. There was nothing being made in the back of the house. It was just like a reheat facility back there. I mean, they were cooking steaks, you know, and cooking stuff, but like the salads and dressings and soups and sauces all were coming in, you know, pre-made. Right. So when I got there, it was a bit of a, a slump, you know, in their in their their sales in the restaurants. They were had about 200 restaurants then, and it was not doing great. So when we got here, we our biggest thing at Hometown Buffet and Old Country Buffet was we made everything from scratch. Every single thing was from scratch. We didn't buy anything pre-made. And so when we got here to Sizzler, I just was like, you know what? As a guest, I wouldn't come in here and spend ten ninety nine for the salad bar and for you know another nine ninety nine for a steak because it was just like it was mediocre. Right. And so I said, the first thing we're going to do is the first impact I think we can do is. We can just get rid of all this pre-made stuff on the salad bar, go back to like chopping carrots, cutting lettuce, you know, making the dressings, making the soups. We make all of our soups from scratch right now, so with the exception of one. We have clam chowder that we have made somebody. It's hard to teach, uh, you know, hourly cooks really how to make a roux and yeah, not have it break, you know, with the cream and everything. So kills me. Yeah. So we, we do buy that one. And, um, but the rest we all make from scratch. So we just we just started focusing really on the food and the food and the people. And the people when I got there were kind of, um, you know, not proud. They were more proud of what they were doing. I would come in and say, hey, you know, this salad doesn't look that great. You know, what's going on? I don't know. I just opened the container. Yeah, I just opened so, the bag, man. It's not <laughs> yeah. my job. And so then once, <laughs> yeah, so then once I was like, hey, I'm going to show you how to make this stuff, and this can be easy. And so then I would walk into the restaurant, and they'd be like, Tamara, Tamara, come over here, chef, come here, come here, I want to show you my soup I made. Oh, I love that. And you could just see their eyes light up, and you could just see how proud they were. And every time I would come in, you know, they would be like, tell me what tell me what I need to do to do better. You know, like, walk around with me and show me the things. And, you know, I would be hesitant because I'm like, I don't want to blast these people, you know. But then they were like, no, you didn't find anything wrong. I'm like, okay, if you really want me to find something wrong, <laughs> yeah, let's go back through. You know, and, right. Well, it's amazing what one of the things that I find in, in everywhere that I go, because, again, I'm, you know, I'm in different restaurants every week and I do find that that there is a level of complacency with with people that are, you know, this is just well, we that's the way we do it. That's how it is. That's the way they told us or my favorite. Well, we're supposed to do it this way, but. You know, I find that all the time. And when you start to engage people and give them uh, give them a, a finished product that has pride to it, how how quickly things change, you know. So, yeah, they might have been open up a can of wet nuts that were left on the salad bar before. But now let me show you how to caramelize a nut. Let me show you how to do this. Here's the sugar. Here's the oven. Here's the way that we put it together. It's kind of funny to to see that pride when it comes out. And I. And for you to do it through 200 stores, I can't imagine what that, what, what is that yeah, program like? So what we did was did a trickle down effect. So what I would do is I would go regionally to a restaurant and I would have the kitchen managers or, you know, one of the managers, we don't really have data, dedicated kitchen managers, but we have a restaurant manager that is in charge of the kitchen. And, um, 
So I would go into one location and then they would come there and I would just show five or six of them and then they would go out and they would go show another five or six and then those people would show five or six and so it was like a trickle down effect. Sometimes right. it's a little about a little like the game of telephone by the time it actually gets to the end of the line. So, uh, you know, when I would say saute, at the end it would maybe be frying. I don't right. know, but then I would... So then I would also have a weekly conference calls with them where they could ask questions and we could talk through things or I would say, hey, I just noticed this in a, you know, a couple of stores. Let's remind you, cooks, you need to, they need to be doing, you know, saute, not frying, you know, right. bacon, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, and then I travel and visit the restaurants and, you know, help them out. And we have a really good um, – business partner relationship with uh, regionals. And so they come to my test kitchen and I show them how to do things and then they go out to their region and oh. train it. Okay. And how many stores you got? You have 140 stores now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have 13 in Puerto Rico and then the rest are pretty much on the West Coast. And how's, I know when we were in Cali, we were talking about Puerto Rico. How many of your properties are up and operating now? Yeah, all of them are up and operating now. The last one just came online not too long ago. Uh, it was really severely looted. All the copper wiring was taken. I mean, oh it, was, it was a horrible situation. So it took them a while because, you know, as you can imagine, the trades out there are probably busy rebuilding a lot of other things. So, um, yeah, it just now got up and running. But they, there are our highest volume restaurants out there in Puerto Rico. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. They love Sizzla. <laughs> love some sizzler so why are there no sizzlers near me uh you are in philly right so yes. um back in i would say back in the late 80s early 90s they had an identity crisis uh they didn't know what they were they didn't know if they were a steakhouse that happened to have a salad bar or if they were a buffet that happened to have steaks Right. And so they, as a result, they confused everyone. And also it was a time when they didn't vet out franchisees. If you had money, you could have a franchise. Right. And so they didn't make sure they had good restaurant experience or really any experience. So they, as a result, they, had to, they just imploded, you know, and they went through a huge bankruptcy. Wow. They went from 800 stores down to like 200 stores in years, you know, a Holy couple of years. Holy shit. That's so wild. So how, I mean, you know, one of the questions that, that, that a lot of people ask, how are you guys doing your product so inexpensively? I mean, how are you guys selling a sirloin steak for nine ninety nine? Well, um, <laughs> well, we, well, we, we use USDA choice in all of our locations. Okay. Uh, we hand cut in house. So as a result, we don't have that third party cutting our right. steaks and cryovacuum and then sending them to us, which adds cost. So we hand cut fresh beef. We don't use frozen. It's only fresh. We use New York ribeye and tri-tip. Okay. And, and we so, have volume. Like we do 2 million pounds of, you know, tri-tip a year. Right. Which is the weirdest thing because we do not have tri-tip on the East Coast. Yeah, we we don't call it tri-tip tri everywhere. In California, tri-tip's well-known. But right. like in Idaho, Washington, we call it sirloin because it's really a, you know, bottom sirloin. So you can call right. it sirloin. Right. And, and I mean, how do you find, you know, I mean, because look, I can cut a steak. You can cut a steak. How are you, how are you doing that with, with line cooks? 
Yeah, so back in the day, uh, they used to have meat cutters in every location. And Sizzler is an anomaly. I've never seen this before in any other place I've ever worked. But we have employees that have been with us for 35 years. Holy shit. Yeah, we in every location, you can go in a location. We just celebrated some guy's uh, 40th anniversary with us My God. in, what does in he Los do? Angeles. What does he do? Well, he's, a, he's a line cook. He's a line cook. And he's been cooking for 40 years. Yeah. So how old is he? What is he, 55? Uh, I think he said he was 58. 58 yeah. years old. That's unbelievable. Yeah. To have yeah, that so kind I, of repentance. Yeah, it's fortunate because they used to cut all their steaks in-house back in the day. So I was able to go to all of the different locations and find people that either remembered it or, you know, knew something about it. Or I brought other people from other places to come in and train. And so in some locations we get, we jacquard, we have these hand jacquard, um, it's not a mechanical jacquard, but it's a huge jacquard machine where they jacquard the meat. Because tri-tip's not really that great if you don't jacquard it. Right. A couple times. Like, we don't make it into hamburger meat, but we like to cut it, like, maybe three times on each side. Okay. And um, and then, you know, the tri-tip, we use three-pound and up tri-tip, uh, which is not what you see in a grocery store. A grocery store is usually two and a half and down because, you know, sticker shock. People don't want to pay that much. Right. So Of course. It, we have a repacker that repacks the tri-tip so we get the larger ones. Okay. And then we just have a great, we have a great training program. We have a manual, we have a video, and just all of our executive team knows how to cut steaks. So every time we go into a restaurant, we, we see that they're not doing all right, we go back there and cut steaks with whoever it is and show them um, all of our business partners on how to cut steaks. And so with that, with that, are you guys working on, on yield as well? I mean, look, here's a, you know, here's a, here, here's a, here's a New York strip. I mean, I'm going to get 14 strips out of here. You know, are you guys working on yield yeah. with these guys as well on how much fat to pull off? Yeah. What about silver skin? What about all that? I mean, what's the, what's the world? Yeah. So we work on, we work on all that. So when we go in, we weekly, they have to send us their yields because if the yields start going down, uh, we contact our supplier and find out what's going on with, you know, the beef. Um, our purchasing department is pretty dialed into the beef market anyway, but, you know, we just talk to our beef supplier. And then um, then we just go back out in the restaurant, find the ones that have the higher yields and or the, you know, lower yields and go out and talk to them and find out what's going on. Did they did they change, a, you know, their meat cutter, you know, what's, you know, that kind of thing. So we're always looking at it because that's our highest spend. Our big number one spend is tri-tip and then our number two spend is lobster. Wow. Huh. And are you guys buying frozen or fresh product on lobster? Uh, that is frozen, and it's Canada, Maine. Okay. That area. Nice. That's got to be fun, though. I mean, that just that whole. I mean, I, I had I, honestly until I we talked about it when we were sitting. I was talking about earlier how we were all sitting by the campfire and just to get twenty chefs around or twenty people that are involved in food. The conversations that ensue are just amazing. You know, I mean, it's so much fun. I love these events that we go to. Because it's like a release for so many people. We talk about food, but at the same time, we talk about family and we talk about friends and relationships and, you know, where we were the week before. Because we, I, I hate, sometimes we lead a kind of a pretty fun, exciting life. We do cool shit. Yeah. My, we do some cool stuff. I just got back from Sun Valley, Idaho on Saturday and I was fly fishing and skeet shooting and there was like 10 suppliers there all with us. So we were, while we were fly fishing, we were talking about, you know, potatoes. 
<laughs> so you were back out for another potato round. Yeah, this well, this had Idaho and it had it had a whole bunch of people. Have you ever heard of Dairy Farmers of America? Sure I never have. heard of them. I'm yeah, assuming. I sure, sure have. They are freaking awesome people. Yeah. They make that little dust that goes on the Doritos. Do they really? Yeah, we talked That's... about that for a long time. I'm like, I need some of that dust, just like crack. Yeah, it's got a Lester in it though, doesn't it? A Lester's yeah, that stuff that gives you I diarrhea. Know. They said it's got MSG in it. I don't have a problem with MSG. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm that. good with it. All right, so so let's go into, because you're, on top of all of this, you're like super creative. Like you have a lot of really cool stuff that you run through. You were, We were talking about the LTOs, the limited time offers that you guys do. What, I, I mean, how many, do you, how many of that stuff do you guys do a year? We do eight LTOs a year. Two of the LTOs are celebration LTOs mainly, so I don't really have to do much with those because we do steak and lobster for those. Right. like in May around Mother's Day and then around Valentine's Day and then you know maybe around Christmas we do that. So I don't really have to do much with the uh, those kinds. But then we have six where I have to come up with new and never shown before, you know, get people in the door kind of promotions. Okay. So, like, what are you guys doing this year? Um, this coming year, we have um, lobster. We're doing a lobster, kind of lobster fest. We can't call it that, obviously, because somebody else already has that name. Those but people. Like a celebration. <laughs> Those people. Lobster celebration, you know, that we're doing something with claws. We're doing some CKL, which is claw, knuckle, leg. Right. And so there's a lobster shortage going on right now. And if we can use the whole animal, then we're most likely going to get more of our product. We'll move up the food chain on who gets the product. So we're trying to use more of the animal so we can make sure we have lobster tails. Right. So that's our one. And that's usually going to be around Lent. Uh, we have a high Hispanic crew, and a lot of Hispanics are also Catholic, and they right. observe the Lent in season. So we do that around Lent, usually some seafood items. And then we have, during the summer, we're doing outrageous burgers. So we're going to be having, I don't know, maybe three to five different outrageous burgers. I think Impossible Burger might be one of them. Huh. And then um, I don't know if our our guest is into that Impossible thing, but I think they'll create enough marketing buzz. They might come in to try it. Right. So um, I mean, especially in a sizzler yeah. world, like you guys are a steakhouse. You know, I mean, that's like kind of the yeah. direction. So to have that Impossible, huh. no, I want to I want to hear more about that later on down after that comes out. Let me know how that worked out. Yeah, yeah. And I've also been looking at the blend one, you know, with the mushroom, like Sonic's doing that little uh, Sonic burger they have with them, like, uh, what is it, 60% meat, 40% mushroom or something like that. Right. I'm also looking at one of those, see how that goes. But, um, and then after that, we have the fall season where I'll be doing some most likely shrimp, steak, steak and shrimp combos. Okay. So it'll either be... Um, breaded shrimp, you know, that I can toss in a sauce and make it m more exciting than just, you know, panko breaded shrimp. Or right. it'll be grilled shrimp. We use uh, Argentinian, South Atlantic Argentinian pink shrimp. Okay. For all of our shrimp skewers because it's fabulous. It has the best flavor. It tastes almost like a combination between shrimp and lobster. Right. And so it's just a, it's just a, it has an awesome color. So mm. we use that and that really lends itself to using, um, compound butters on top like we've done a sriracha shrimp and a cilantro lime shrimp right so now when it comes to stuff like walnuts i mean what are what are you what are you doing with walnuts well right now we don't do a lot with walnuts at right at this moment 
we have them like in a Waldorf salad we have on the salad bar. Okay. Um, but in January, we will be having walnuts on the bar as a topping that they can put on top of their salad um, with toasted walnuts. So it's going to be great because it's going to we have almonds on there now, but walnuts are going to lead us to a whole different flavor and crunch and look. It's, I think it's, I'm really excited for that. And then also we have a salad that is going to have toasted uh, honey sriracha walnuts in it. And it's got Brussels sprouts as well. So, um, and you did you actually demoed that, right? Yeah, I demoed it when we were at Camp Walnut. That's right. Yeah, I remember doing that. I remember seeing Everybody that. Everybody was That's eating cool. my honey sriracha walnut. They're good. They were tasty. <laughs> they were. They're, I was yeah, they're too. Tasty. I was too busy making a mess, uh, searing off ribeyes. Yeah, you were pretty amazing with that ribeye and that sous vide and the. And you branded it with the Camp Walnut. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, look, they, these guys give us such a great opportunity. So so everybody's listening, just so you know, like uh, Tamara and I had first met, like I talked about earlier, we met at, camp, at, a, at a Walnut event last year where they brought out a, a group of chefs. We got to hang out and learn about Walnuts. And, and, and this year they did the same thing, but we took it a, a step further because we were the camp counselors. So we had people that were working with us and really just kind of let them be creative, you know, and, and we kind of directed them in a couple different ways. We each showed. So it was you, me, Trent and Jewel and Juliet, who were the camp counselors. We each made a product and then we were teamed up with three other chefs or food bloggers or, or, or editors or whatever it was. And we all create and then we let them kind of create product. And you guys won because what did you guys make? No, we didn't win. Juliet's team won. There was their soup that won. No, my team got best team spirit. Oh, that's right. El Wapo. Wapo. That's right. And my team got messiest team award. You did have the messiest team by far. That's what happens when you put like me and Chad in the same room together. Yeah, that's true. And then we had a Trent team that was pristine. Oh, my God. Pristine. their pans looked new when they were done. I know. It was so clean. I was like, are you guys even cooking over here? I mean, did you order out? I mean, like, what's going on? <laughs> Who delivers your shit? We want to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really good group of people. I mean, just a great group of people. I mean, luckily. And then it was like you and me and Juliet and Chad and Trent and Effie all ended up going over to the Russian River. And like yeah. doing floated little- in the river. We got to float in the Russian River, which was pretty awesome, and hang out in the Red Ones. That was a great trip. I mean, I know you do a bunch of them. I don't do as many. I only do about two or three a year. Um, but uh, they're, they're awesome trips. Just such a great experience just to talk about a product. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And the, their marketing team, like Emily, they're so great. They're so and they're so into it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Emily is. She took this one on pretty hardcore because she just crushed it this year. That was an amazing event. Yeah, who gets to stay in an airstream camper trailer that's been remodeled to look like the Ritz Carlton inside? I mean, who gets to do that? With a food truck, those guys did a nice job. I mean, uh, I think it's Ring of Fire out of Napa. They did a really nice job. Uh, yes. You know. They did an incredible job, and I've gotten so many compliments on my T-shirt that they gave us. That it's all good T-shirt. I wore mine the other day in the in the airport. I posted a picture of it because I love that shirt so much. Yeah, I think it's good. Do you hear that in the background? Can you hear that? That's a chainsaw tap. A chainsaw. 
they couldn't like I record out of my house. I have, I have like a re- little recording studio in my office and and they chose today. It's like I do this almost every week. It's pretty funny. So so what's going on? Like, what's the plan? I mean, are, are you guys opening more stores? What, what, what happens? You know, what goes on from here with you guys? Yeah, yeah. So we're opening more stores. We've been opening for the last few years. We've been opening about five a year. Nice. And most recently, we've just been remodeling the salad bars. So we've been remodeling the salad bars to be streamlined. Um, it's a black and white effect. We have black uh, inserts that go into the salad bar, so you're not looking at ice, you know, dirty ice or any of that kind of stuff anymore. Right. And we're definitely not garnishing with kale because now we're making salads with kale, and that's just not cool. It's garnish with just kale. Quite makes sense. Salad. I use the yeah. garnish, or do I eat it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then we have these white inserts that go in the black, you know, black trivet. Um, that look, just really make the food pop out. So we're remodeling all those. We're putting a, what we're calling mix stations in to the restaurants. And so what the mix station is, is you can you get a bowl and you go down the line and you put all the stuff that you want in there and then you go to this mix, the salad tender and they're going to put it in a bigger bowl and they're going to ask you, do you want to add some premium ingredients? Maybe there's shrimp, there's oh, quinoa, awesome. there's edamame, there's stuff like that. And then they'll ask you what kind of dressing you want and then they put the dressing on and toss it all, mix it all together and then put it on a nice chilled plate or bowl and then give it back to you. And you go back to your table and you eat this great composed salad like you would pay thirteen ninety nine for it at CPK. Right. But instead, you're paying nine ninety nine for it at Sizzler and you're good. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's pretty cool. So, so what's so? What about you? I mean, you're a mom, you're a wife, and you get to travel and do all that. One of your one of your your daughters in college. Yeah, both my kids are in college. I have a son that's 21. He's in Los Angeles at film school. He wants to be an editor. And my daughter is in her sophomore year. She's 19 at Mizzou in Columbia, Missouri, to be a she wants to be a nurse practitioner. And what are you doing with all your free time now? Oh, yeah. At the beginning, I was, like, going nuts because my kids were, <laughs> my daughter was in sports, you know, and you're, like, taking them all over. She was in water polo, so you're doing all that. And now, I, the first four months, I was like, I, I need to find more friends or right. get a hobby. I mean, like, what am I going to do? So, as a result, if you see on my Instagram, I spend a lot more time traveling. Right. So, and just, like, doing some fun stuff and reconnecting with you know, lots of chefs that I meet on these trips. So I'll go visit them and, That's you know, cool. uh, we collaborate on different things. I just recently was helping one of my friends um, at one, another steakhouse. I'm not going to name the name because I don't want to get in trouble. But <laughs> we were, we were collaborating on a, some LCOs. I'm like, hey, dude, we're in the same thing. But we don't, we don't compete because he's right. not in, on my coast. Right. And so, um, you know, but it was fun just talking, like, what are the problems you having with meat? You know, sure. and uh, so, you know, it was great. So we just we collaborated for each other and helped each other out. Well, I think that's that's one of the coolest parts about all of these events, because, you know, we always uh, there's so many everybody always wants to know, like, who's your favorite, you know, who's their your favorite chef and who would you you know, who, who do you go after or, or who do you not like? Or everybody wants to try to put everything into a competition world or something like that. When in reality, we all learn so much from each other. You know, I mean, there's just there's so much opportunity for education during these events that, yeah, it's great that we're floating in the Russian River. But guess what? You know, I learned about what you're doing with your honey sriracha walnuts. 
you know, during that time frame, and and it opens up. I find that it opens up a, at least for me. And I know Chad and I talked about this when we got back. It really opens up our minds to see so many different operations. You know, Chad's got barbecue spots. I, I do a whole bunch of different genres of of restaurants and food, and you do Sizzler. So how much did we all learn from each other during that three day time frame? You know, I mean, there's so much yeah, that comes out of. Definitely. And I think that people think that us chefs are more uh, competitive towards each other than we really are. I mean, I think because they see these uh, competition shows on TV, on Food Network and everything. And really, I feel that chefs are not where I'm most of the chefs I meet. I mean, there's exceptions, but most of the ones I meet are not that competitive and they're willing to share their, you know, their knowledge and their stuff. And and I just feel like we're one like one big chefy family. You know, it's not. I don't feel like that, yes, we all have large egos, we might have large personalities, some of us, but I think that as a whole, we're just all wanting to help each other out. We're in hospitality business, for God's right. sake. I mean, like, yeah, so... You nailed it. I think I agree. We are. We're all we all really do kind of want to help each other out. I mean, look at the different genre of people that was out there from from a finer dining setting to a protein bar, you know, to 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 a juice bar, to Sizzler, to barbecue. I mean, there's so many different groups of us that were out there all at the same time. And we we're talking about the Oakland A's chef. We're talking about the chef for USC. We're talking about Whole Foods. There were so many different different talent levels and so many different education levels that were out there there and we all learned i i feel that i walked away with a tremendous amount of information from that week from that three days oh yeah me me too like i'm working on some korean salads for the salad bar right now and korean food i mean like asian food in general is not my wheelhouse my wheelhouse is southern comfort you know southern you know american that's my wheelhouse and so it was nice to talk to some other people because i was like hey what are your ideas for some korean salads i really don't have a clue you yeah. know, and what do you think would work and, you know, that kind of thing. So it was really nice about some stuff off other people. That's cool. Well, we need to thank Emily Nordy for all that from Evans, Hardy and Young and uh, the California Walnut Board for putting us together again this year. I know. Um, I know. And, uh, and so, Tamara, hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, we never. And, and let's keep in touch. So find out when we can go and hang out a little bit more. So, um, Tamara, you- Southern California, I'll be mad if you don't contact. Me. Well, I will be out there in January. My brother's getting married, so I'm coming back out there. I'll be out there for a couple of days. Um, I think I'm going to take my daughter down to Mexico. My youngest daughter and I are going to take a little trip down into Mexico to go down and check out Tijuana, check out the restaurant down there, and then I think we're going to head down to the beach for a couple of days. So I don't know. Okay, we were go still to Rosarita Beach. I know my, my partner's got a property down there and he's like, Hey, stay at my house. So we'll see what happens. I know it's on the water. So who knows? Maybe we'll just sit by the pool and, and, you know, drink non-alcoholic margaritas together. Who knows? I have no idea. But <laughs> awesome. we okay. can figure that out. So Tamara, do me a favor real quick again. Uh, tell me who you are, what you do and how we can get in contact with you. My name is Tamara Scroggins. I work for Sizzler. I am my title is director of food culture. If you know what that is, let me know. Essentially I'm the chef. And it's my handle on Twitter and Instagram is Tamara Sizzles. I love it. Tamara, thank you so much for hanging out with me. And uh, I'll talk to you soon in the next couple of weeks, lady. All right. You have a good day. Thank you, dear. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So that's like one of the cool things that I, I get to do is I do, I get to travel around and that's really what the show is all about is some of the cool people that I get to meet. I mean, 
I never knew that Sizzler, you know, we all, we also have a kind of a preconceived notion about, uh, about a, a chain steakhouse like that, you know, especially Sizzler that's selling a steak for 1099. I had zero idea that they used all choice and that they hand cut all their steaks in house. That's something that I, in reality to me, seems like a logistical and a financial nightmare. And, and, and on a consistency level, I would see that as, as a problem, but to see that she's working it in 140 stores and these guys are opening up five new stores a year. That's pretty impressive. So, um, I learn something every day and, and I, and I try to get that information passed along to you guys. So you guys can get an idea as well. You know, it's not about doing a commercial, it's about education and, and information. So, um, so thank you so much for Tamara for hopping out and hanging out with us and all that good stuff. So, uh, that's the show for this week, everybody. That's a super easy and a super fun one. Um, I appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Do me a favor, go over to iTunes and, and uh, give us a little bit of a review. Let people know about us. Tell your friends. If you guys have any guests you want to see on the show, just message me, man. Send me a little message and we'll get them on. Um, we've got a really good uh, response rate from a lot of the people that we reach out to, and we're stoked to have as many people as we do. Um, uh, that's what I got for this week. We got to thank the three people that I love the most when it comes to this. We got to thank out Jerry and Jason down there in Tampa for radioinfluence.com. Trust me, check out radio, radioinfluence.com and listen to some of the other podcasts that are out there. Um, they've got a great one right now that's going on about cannabis. Ian Beckles is down there doing a couple of really, really neat things as well. And we've got, uh, uh, some, some cool stuff, um, uh, with these guys that I just love listening to their podcasts and what they put out. Uh, Maggie Gagliardi does all of our images. If you guys ever check it out on Instagram and Twitter, Duffified Live, go and follow us. Uh, she puts out all these images for us that we do as promo pieces, and they're brilliant. I, I really absolutely love them. And then we've got uh, Michelle out there, Techno Solution, who does our website and all the really kind of graphic stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Do me a favor. Go out and be nice to people, man. Have a great day. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a cannabis podcast powered by Truly. Quick fix on radio influence. In the word stigma we use quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. It's still really there. There's there's no doubt about it. I'll give you a great example. Um, Brian, who has an office here, Flavor of Tampa Bay, his grandmother is in the hospital with I don't know what's leukemia or something, some really bad. Okay, yeah, really, yeah. And uh, you know, I think they're pumping her full of morphines and all kind of mm-hmm. crazy stuff. And yeah. Brian went to the doctor and asked him, you know, could I could I bring her some med- something medical for her to eat? And the doctor asked her if that was okay and he said she flipped out mm-hmm. I'm not taking marijuana I've never taken marijuana I'm not a weed head like that is still there is it is it just because she's 80 something years old I kind of understand a little bit yeah but I feel like it's still there with even people of my age it is it is I I have a similar story where the person that has cancer is much younger um, she was in her 60s and felt the exact same way at, when it was brought up as an option um, for kind of helping through that journey 
And it's really because for so much of our history, we were told this is horrible. And you really can only understand what you're taught. Correct. And and that's just been what we've all been taught. And with older generations specifically, because they were adults through that phase. So they were given all those statistics and all that information about how it's killing your brain cells. And mm-hmm. it leads to, you know, more drug abuse and death and horrible, horrible things. And as a society, I think, and I think we're all guilty of this, we believe what we hear. The Cannabis Podcast, powered by TrueLeaf, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 